Welcome to the Constant Source Podcast, where we are reimagining family discipleship. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Constant Source Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Kuhn, and it's really great to be with you this week. I'm very excited for our topic today, which is spiritual succession. Spiritual succession is all about family discipleship, which has been at the core of my study for the last 10 years as I've been working with families and developing content around what it looks like to participate in Christian education at home. You might start getting the feeling that I'm pretty passionate about this subject, but before we jump into the four passages of the lectionary this week that all promote this idea of spiritual succession, I just want to say a quick thanks to those who back the ministry of Constant Source. If you want to join those who are making the Constant Source ministry happen, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Constant Source. There you can subscribe and help this ministry continue to thrive. So you will notice that the formatting is a little bit different this week because instead of highlighting one key text, all of our texts play an integral role in understanding the breadth of discipleship. And so instead of highlighting one, we're going to be learning from all four. So our first reading today is from Psalm 145, 1 through 5, 17 through 21. Psalm 145 reads, I will extol you, my king, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall laud your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him and all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When it comes to passing on a thriving and vibrant spiritual life to their kids, the most important thing parents can do is to exemplify what a life in relationship with God looks like. My number one piece of advice for parents who want to be the spiritual coach that their family needs is to practice the kind of spiritually focused life that they desire for their child to have. In the same way that kids learn what their parents love from colors to foods, they can also learn that their parents love to spend time with God, especially when they see it modeled every day. This is what Psalm 145 is about. Psalm 145 focuses on inviting the reader to enjoy and bask in God, and then pass that joy from one generation to the next. The focus of much of the Old Testament, and truly a core tenet of Israelite culture, is to pass on an identity rooted in being God's people. If you look at the wisdom literature found in Proverbs, it is so clear that passing on ideas and beliefs about God from one generation to the next was one of the most, if not the most, important priority 
I like to refer to this generational passing on of beliefs, ideas, and practices as spiritual succession. Spiritual succession in practice often looks a lot like discipleship and passing on key tenets of the faith for our kids to understand and embody. It's not enough to understand theology. We want our kids to truly know and participate in relationship with God. Part of this process is helping them understand who God is and what God desires for their lives. And the other part is inviting them into relationship and creating spaces for them to experience God's presence. Psalm 145 is a beautiful mix of both. In their very essence, the Psalms are a communal communication tool that the Israelites use to worship and talk with God. From praise to, to, to lament, the Psalms give language to the ups and the downs of life and provide examples of how we take these highs and lows to God. In reading the Psalms, alone or in a group, we create space to talk with God using time-tested words that express the heart of worship, meditation, and prayer. Throughout Psalm 145, we see beautiful declarations about who God is, which informs the way we think about God, draws us into relationship with God, and motivates us to live differently. For example, verse 17 reminds us that a core characteristic of who God is, is that God is just. In this specific context, the psalmist reminds us that God is kind, which unfortunately is also an understated characteristic of God. Often, we think of God's justice as being vengeful, while truly it is rooted in kindness. Because justice is a core part of who God is, it must therefore be something that we too strive for in our lives. Finally, verse 18 reminds us that God draws near to us when we call out in truth. This is an interesting clarification because it is an encouragement to remember God's promises and count them as truth. The Bible is filled with God's promises, and many are seen in the book of Psalms, as the psalmist encourages us to repeat God's promises, live into them, and expect them from God. When we call upon the promises of God, God meets us where we are. A key part of spiritual succession is living out active and participatory faith so that our children can learn by watching. If we model the example set for us by the psalmist, we are well on our way to setting an example for our children. Our next passage comes from Luke 20, 27 through 38. It reads, Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, the first married and died childless, then the second, and the third married her, and so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die any more, because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive.
as was a common starting place for many of the lessons that Jesus taught. In verses 34 through 38, Jesus is responding to a sort of trick question from a religious leader. On its surface, this discourse seems to be about marriage, but as we will see, Jesus has a much more important point to teach us. The Sadducee asking the question is concerned with upholding Old Testament law and trying to come to terms with, or most likely point out the flaws of Jesus' resurrection teachings. Jesus responds with a bit of an off-putting conclusion, which basically states that those who concern themselves with marriage do so because they are concerned with that which is here and now. Those who desire to be part of the next age, which is an allusion to the afterlife, do not marry. In other words, Jesus seems to be completely discrediting marriage, or at least advising that those who want to experience the resurrection would not give themselves in marriage. But we know from reading the whole Bible that God is definitely not against marriage. In fact, God created human beings for relationship and set the example of a covenantal and selfless relationship. So if God isn't against marriage, what is Jesus getting at here? In short, from Luke's point of view, marriage just represents another part of human existence. In the same way that eating and drinking are necessary in this life, but not in the next, they just don't quite apply to the resurrected life that Jesus is talking about. So Jesus isn't critiquing these actions as much as he is critiquing our focus on them. In light of our other readings this week, Jesus wants us to remember that while our time on earth is important, it's the new life that we have in the resurrection that should be our focus. As Christians, we are a resurrected people. As the spiritual coaches of our families, we must help our kids stay focused on God's priorities, the work that God is about in the world, and the future hope that we get to participate in new life found in God. Refocusing on kingdom priorities means that some worldly priorities look a bit different as we encounter them as followers of Jesus Christ, living out and embodying resurrection. A key piece of spiritual succession is helping our kids understand their identity as resurrected people. Our next reading comes from the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. In the second year of King Darius, in the seventh month, on the twenty-first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Once again, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. 
In light of the message from Luke that we just read, this passage from Haggai offers a unique perspective on a theological truth. It's a vital truth we must pass down to our kids, and it has to do with eschatology. Eschatology is a big fancy word that means theology of the afterlife, or in keeping with Jesus's resurrection language, the life that we have with God after death. Even though eschatology is rooted in life after death, the Christian question becomes, which death? Often in Christianity, we talk about the new life that is offered to us through our relationship with Jesus, and we celebrate that new life with baptism. In baptism, we declare the death of our old lives and commit to the hope of our new life found in Christ. This is what it means to be a resurrected people. I bring all of this up because in the middle of our Haggai passage, Haggai reminds us that God's spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit's presence with us is significant for three key reasons. First, from an eschatological point of view, we are invited into the future afterlife relationship with God today because the Holy Spirit is present in real time with us now. Second, because the Holy Spirit is present with us and in the world, the Spirit is at work renewing and realigning our lives. Our lives can then become more in line with who God wants us to be while also reestablishing the future kingdom of God in the present moment. Just as Jesus healed the world around him, so too is the Holy Spirit still at that work. Living as resurrected people invites the world around us into the same renewal. In other words, our future hope in an afterlife lived with God is already happening in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. Haggai's foretelling of the temple of God being renewed and shining its witness for all people even brighter than before is happening in us. While the Spirit of God used to dwell within the temple, it now resides within us. A key piece of spiritual succession is helping our kids understand God's desire for us to be in close relationship with God and to focus on God's work in the world. Our final reading this week is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1-5. through As to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we beg you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as though from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord is already here. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the lawless one is revealed, the one destined for destruction." He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. Do you not remember that I told you these things when I was still with you? Interestingly, this passage from 2 Thessalonians talks about a different kind of benefit of spiritual succession, which is that when our kids have a strong spiritual foundation, they are less likely to be deceived by the culture. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul is warning the church that there are evil spiritual forces at play in our lives, and if we aren't careful, we might find ourselves being misled to worship other things in the culture. The language that Paul uses here illustrates evil as a person that looks like Jesus but isn't. This form is often referred to as the Antichrist and is mentioned in the books of 1 and 2 John. However, it's important that we don't limit the idea of evil to a person, because if you look around at culture, you can see multiple examples of false worship or idolatry that have nothing to do with people, but rather objects and ideas. 
Consumerism, workaholism, and vanity are all examples of the things in the world that can deceive and distract us from Christ. A key piece of spiritual succession is helping our kids build a strong faith foundation so that when they are confronted by evil in this world, they can stand firm and defiant in their faith. In conclusion of our conversation on spiritual succession for today, here are a couple of ideas or thoughts to reflect upon. First, Great spiritual succession starts with strong spiritual disciplines. What spiritual disciplines do you practice and how often? If the answer is none or few, what needs to change to bolster this part of your life? How much have you and other caregivers of your children talked about setting a faithful example of the Christian life for your kids? What things are you doing to help implement that strategy? Finally, what does Christian identity mean to you? How can you share that with your family? In an effort to connect this idea with your family, practice these things together. First, pray. Pray this prayer. Lord God, as we do life together as a family, help us to see you in everything we do. Help me to model a faith-focused life that illustrates my deep love for you, that will help my family to see you at work in tangible ways and to grow deeper in their relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Second, take some time to share. Take some time to talk about the things you have reflected on this week with your kids and share with them one spiritual practice that helps you grow closer to God. Finally, create space to wonder together. Ask your kids what they think that you are passionate about. What do you love to participate or enjoy doing? Then ask them what they think it would look like to be passionate for God. Finally, I conclude with this last thought. We are always passing on a love for something to our kids. From eating ice cream to rooting for a sports team, we as parents have a lot of influence over what our children develop a passion for. Be sure that some of that passion is focused on Jesus. Thank you for taking the time to check out Constant Source Podcast this week. If you'd like to start receiving our weekly digital devotional, you can find a link in the show notes. If you want to learn more about who Constant Source is and what we're up to, check us out at theconstantsource.com. If you like what you're hearing here and you want to weigh in on some of the theological topics that we talk about and you want to support the work of the show, check us out at patreon.com slash constantsource. Lastly, we are on social media. On Twitter, we are at constant underscore source. On Instagram, we're at constant source. And on Facebook, we are at facebook.com backslash constant source. May your family be blessed. Have a great week.